humans insatiable appetite for more protein and animal proteins is is uh, continues to grow and the numbers support that but the facts are that you know we can't sustain that kind of level um and so we need to be able to um have and be able to commercialize and and make it accessible to uh, a great deal of the population, uh, more plant-based proteins. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to the 58th episode of the Business for Good podcast. You know, 58 has always been a favorite number of mine, both because it was the jersey number of my favorite football player as a child, Wilbur Marshall, and also since as a kid, I used to try to collect uh, 1958 baseball cards, some of which I still have. Hopefully, they are worth something today. But you know what is really worth something? This conversation with two executives from one of the largest meat companies on the planet. Maple Leaf Foods. Now, those of you who listen to the show know that I've devoted a good amount of my life to trying to help humanity use fewer animals for food. So why would we be having a meat company on as a business that's doing good? Well, that is an easy answer. Because of all of the meat, all the major meat companies, none has embraced plant protein in the way that Canada's largest meat company, Maple Leaf Foods, has. Not only has the company acquired two well-known plant protein brands, Field Roast and Light Life, but it has dramatically expanded those brands' reach enabling more meat consumers to enjoy these plant-based products. In fact, Maple Leaf has put nearly a billion dollars, billion with a B, so far into acquiring and now growing their plant-based protein lines. Part of that includes building a $100 million tempeh plant. Think about that, $100 million just for a tempeh plant, along with a $310 million plant-based meat facility, both in Indiana. These are the kinds of numbers that even the biggest alt-protein startups dream of, yet it is a meat company that is making it happen. In this episode, we talk with the executive in charge of Maple Leaf's plant protein division called Greenleaf Foods, Adam Grogan. We're also joined by the company's chief of R&D, Jatendra Sargili, an impressive meat industry veteran who's in charge of a team of 90 food scientists, many of whom are working to innovate the best new alt proteins for the meat-eating consumer to enjoy. We talk about a lot of things, including whether Maple Leaf sees plant-based meat as cannibalizing their core products or merely as a supplemental effort to them. We discuss their efforts to put plant protein not only into the meat aisle, but also into the meat itself. We learn that, ironically, Light Life was a vegetarian but not vegan brand pre-acquisition, and it took a meat giant like Maple Leaf owning it to convert all their products to become animal-free. And we learned that in just a few years since acquiring Field Roast, Maple Leaf has now tripled the size of that business. And yes, we also touch on the controversial ad that Lightlife placed criticizing fellow plant-based meat purveyors, and we get their thoughts in retrospect about it. There is so much in this episode that I don't want to filibuster anymore by making this into a longer intro than it needs to be. So let me turn it over to Adam and Jatendra, two folks who are certainly using the power of their business to try to do some serious good in the world. Adam and Jatendra, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Thanks, Paul. Really excited to be here. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, great to be here. Hey, it is my pleasure. I'm really psyched to have you guys on. And I just want to ask you, uh, I'm just going to get started. Uh, very little pleasantries. You guys work for the biggest meat company in Canada. It's been a huge player in meat production and advocating meat consumption. And yet now you have a major initiative to promote plant-based meats. And you've acquired two companies in the space, uh, both Light Life and Field Roast. And you're building uh, what may be the biggest or one of the biggest plant-based meat manufacturing facilities on the planet. What's going on? Well, Paul, we're, we're pretty proud of what we've uh, been able to accomplish in a short period of time. Uh, many of your audience may not be aware that Maple Leaf Foods is a, is a hundred-year-old company in Canada. Um, we are in the animal production business, but we, uh, we have a pretty lofty goal, and that is to be the most sustainable protein company on earth. And a number of years ago, um, you know, as an executive team, we got together and uh, spent a, lot of, a great deal of time talking about how are we going to uh, service this world for the next 100 years. And as part of that was a significant conversation and a strategic shift into the plant-based protein space. And so in 2017, we, uh, as part of that strategy, we acquired Light Life Foods. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, we're able to acquire Field Roast. So uh, two fantastic companies and two fantastic brands. 
And uh, it's just the start of what we hope to be uh, a significant uh, investment in the plant protein space. Oh, cool. Well, I'll tell you, first and foremost, uh, I am a very avid tempeh consumer. And I like to consider myself actually a tempeh connoisseur, although I'm sure there are some Indonesians who might disagree with me on that. But at least my self-perception is as a tempeh connoisseur. And there is only one brand that I buy, and that's yours. Uh, it is by far the best tempeh that I have anywhere ever had. And I eat it on a very regular basis. And I want to make sure that you think it's cool for me to eat it straight out the pack and that I don't need to cook it. Do you think there's any problem with that? <laughs> because I do it on a very regular basis. Well, it's quite safe to do so. I'm sure Jatinder will give you the scientific explanation, <laughs> but we do uh, we do pasteurize it to ensure that it's very healthy to eat out of the package. And uh, okay. I, don't think you're, I don't think you're breaking any rules there, right, right Jatinder? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you can eat out of the package, but you know, the, for the best taste experience, Paul, for sure, you, you can saute it or fry it. <laughs> add a bit of pepper and salt, you know, it give you the best tasting experience, right? So, yeah, you know, well, and, and, and to your point, you know, tempeh is is one of the one of the best uh, superfoods, you know, with the with an amazing fermented uh, soybean uh, product, um, you know, with uh, such a high uh, quality of protein uh, that is, uh, you know, highly digestible and uh, bioavailable. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you it's know, great tasting. Such a versatile protein. Yeah, and Paul, I think one of the things that we you're talking to two tempeh, uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 worship with tempeh. It's a, it's an incredible incredible yeah. product. And uh, Light Life was actually founded in 1979, um, and they originally the company was called Tempeh Works actually, and it was started uh, in Western Massachusetts in an old car wash. Wow. Uh, and so they were, uh, you know, that the the founders were you know, the first people to bring tempeh sort of mainstream. And uh, it's it's now, you know, obviously switched the name to Light Life Foods over that period of time. But the recipe and the way that we produce it is exactly the same way that it was done, just a little bigger, a little bit more at a time uh, <laughs> than it was back in 1979. And I we did hear the interview that you had with Seth from Tofurky. And uh, I think we shared our same passion and conviction for, for the great product of tempeh. Yeah, it's always surprising to me how less popular tempeh is than tofu, but I hope that will change. And I know that you guys are doing a lot to try to change that because I read recently you're putting $100 million into your tempeh production. Uh, so let me just ask first, are you currently or will you soon be after that the largest tempeh manufacturer on the planet? Well, we are there today, at least in North America, we are. Um, mm -hmm. But we, you know, to your point earlier, tempeh really is only in less than one percent of all households in North America. And uh, you look <laughs> oh, at surprising, <laughs> yeah, it's actually 0. 0.7, And but those who love it love it a lot, like us. And tofu is uh, just around, just over five percent. So you can you can imagine, you know, just how how much room there is to grow. And I think when people are looking for simple, more natural ingredients, they're looking for more functional nutrition, uh, flexibility, convenience. I mean, it, it hits a lot of marks. In fact, we the rallying cry that we have back in, in at, at Greenleaf Foods is that we believe tempeh will be the next kombucha. It's uh, it's that it's that excellent for you, and it's uh, it's in a great product format. Nice. Okay. Well, I, I promise you, Jatendra, that I will cook it sometimes. But it's very <laughs> easy. You know, it's very easy just to cut it out of the pack and dip it in hummus, and uh, I like it. But if you're looking for a an easy recipe for it put absolutely nothing on it and just put it in an air fryer for like five minutes and it makes this very oh, nice no. like, crispy stick mm. that you can then dip into any like salsa or guacamole or hummus or anything it's awesome yeah it, and put it, it's so yeah, such, a, such a versatile product uh, Paul, yeah. as adam yeah. is saying like it, it can go anywhere you know uh anywhere that tofu or chicken or even you know i am originally from india any, anywhere like paneer which is a dairy uh, product dairy protein product can go into so yeah. it's such a versatile product and such an amazing protein source. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you raised that, Jatendra, because, you know, you and I have, have spoken a lot before uh, about your journey and about your story uh, of growing up in India and moving to the U.S. and getting involved in the food science world. And now you're overseeing a team of food product developers for this massive company. Uh, how many people work, work under you at Maple Leaf right now? I would, yeah, it's it's more uh, both, you know, um, you know, all proteins, I would say, uh, mm -hmm. More than ninety plus people. Right. So, so you know, um, over, over, over still growing. 
So you're overseeing a team of, of over 90 people who are developing all these new products, right? Both meat and plant-based. And let me ask you, like, what got you into this in the first place? And if the young Jatendra had known that you're going to be making plant-based meats, what would he have said? Like, you know, you started working at this huge meat company. Did you ever think that you're going to be working on alternative proteins? No, I, I would say, you know, let me, let me take, take back a little bit. And it's like my career journey, um, over the last two decades is uh, not, not necessarily a planned one, I would say, you know, like it, it's, uh, it's fascinating, um, you know, where I'm here, I'm grateful where, you know, where I'm currently in the, in the, in the journey. Um, it's, it's continuously evolving. Um, you know, going back, uh, my roots in India, you know, I finished uh, my education and bachelor's in veterinary medicine. And from there, I pursued my master's in animal sciences in University of Wisconsin-Madison. So when I was doing my master's, then I got realized and got real appreciation of how big uh, the food industry, prepared food or prepared meat industry is. It's, it's, it's fascinating to see how big is in, in America and, in, and North America, right? So I started learning more about products and you know, my first uh, career, career job was with ConAgra as a food technologist in R&D. You know, I grew a uh, food technologist mostly on meat products. You know, I grew uh, in my career working with ConAgra, uh, Smithfield, and OSI Group uh, prior to moving to Maple Leaf. So, you know, my journey, you know, over the over the period of uh, two decades, you know, I, I met uh, Adam, I believe, Adam, it's in 2014, um, you know, for Maple Leaf, joining in Maple Leaf. And uh, fast forward, you know, uh, you know I'm... Where I am, I'm super grateful to working for a, an amazing purpose-driven company um, with all the with, with excellent sustainable plant plant-based protein brands, Light Life and Field Roast. It, the diverse product portfolio, including our favorite tempeh. So it, it, it's it's you know how uh, from um, from where I started, where I ended. If you if you, if you take the, if I reflect upon it, um, having the meat background. You know, right? You know, meat uh, processing background. Um, you, you know, uniquely place uh, me and certain other colleagues in the sense that we view, you know, sustainability is is key. You know, having a sustainable protein production. In fact, that's one of my mission as well. Like to to have the food ecosystem that is more uh, food protein ecosystem that is more sustainable, affordable, nutritious, and great tasting. So, you know, if you think about plant protein. It is one of the protein choices. It is one of the protein options um, in, that that exist, whether it's a plant protein, uh, or animal protein, or cellular-based or cultivated meat protein. That's you know that's in works, or algae protein. The, the formats the consumers wanted was always in meat formats. That is the number one of choice, right? So, as a meat scientist with the with the, tra- the, the with the expertise. I think, you know, uh, me and some of my colleagues are uniquely positioned in the sense like you take the meat, however, the wherever the source is, but the, for, but the processing is pretty much, you know, uh, reflect the meat process. So when you have that expertise, um, it's an amazing way to uh, use that expertise and create a, a great tasting, you know, uh, products at scale that are more cost effective uh, and food safe. So... As we are, you know, um, you know, the learning curve is there. You know, we're learning more about plant proteins, uh, similar to meat protein, or the, the how it interacts, the functionality. You know, when you try to make a plant protein into, a, you know, a plant protein convert into a hot dog format or a burger, or a sausage, um, you know, or a pepperoni. You know, like there, there, there's a lot of learning curve. Um, there's a lot of technology or ingredient functionalities you have to learn. Uh, but that is the fun part of it, right? So as as you learn more and more. And, uh, you know, have that uh, uh, conversations with all the, you know, like a shared value or vision with your uh, supply partners and everyone, you know, in learning the, in learning the technologies. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's, it's a continuous journey and, you know, I'm super excited where I am in the, in the space. And, you know, and also like as one of the few things, uh, one of the, one of the uh, great thing about this um, fascinating is, you know, meat has been there for a long time, uh, centuries, I would say, and, and the, the, these technologies that's been decades and centuries old, like fermentation and extrusion, has completely reimagined, thanks to all these amazing companies, completely reimagined to deliver these uh, amazing products, sustainable 
protein choices we currently in the market, right? So that's that's you know that excites me quite a bit. And like I said, the the my career journey is constantly evolving, and I'm and I'm learning, and I'm super grateful for uh, you know where I am right now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, it is really exciting. Uh, I, I too share your enthusiasm for all of these new technologies that I think will help create a more sustainable protein production system. And Adam, I know you, you mentioned that your goal is for Maple Leaf to be the most sustainable protein company out there. So, you know, a lot of the people who listen to the show will already know that, you know, meat production takes a lot of land takes a lot of water, uh, it emits a lot of greenhouse gas emissions compared to plant protein. So does part of becoming the most sustainable protein company on the planet mean that you'll displace some of your animal protein production with plant protein? Is that your hope? Is that your goal? Or do you view it merely as supplemental and not actually displacing any of the core business of Maple Leaf? It's a great question, and I and it's one that I get you know because my background is also in the in the meat industry. I get quite a bit, and I think you know meat meat protein has been in the human diet for hundreds of thousands of years, and we don't view that as changing. Um, and I know some of our other competitors have have maybe different views on this, but we we don't we don't we don't see it as such. We think there's there needs to be a better balanced relationship between animal and plant proteins. Um, I think that that's super important for dietary needs and the long-term long-term global sustainability. You know, Paul, when you look at some of these numbers around the global population, and it, it's pretty clear that um, you know the human's insatiable appetite for more protein and animal proteins is is uh, continues to grow, and the numbers support that. But the facts are that you know we can't sustain that kind of level, um, and so we need to be able to. Um, have and be able to commercialize and, and make it uh, accessible to uh, a great deal of the population uh, more plant-based protein. So we view, simply put, as we view p- protein as, as a continuing to grow, uh, a desire for protein and consuming protein as a desire to grow at an exponential rate. Uh, I think the numbers support that. But at the same time, um, we think that we can support a lot of that growth through uh, diversity of protein sources, and, and that includes plant protein. And so that's for us uh, a big part of our um, a reason to to invest, and we've we've committed you know almost a billion dollars in capital to between investing and growing um, our plant protein space. It's it's a big part of our objective. That's incredible. Are you aware of any other meat company that's invested as much capital into this uh, alternative protein space as Maple Leaf? No, not at all. And I think uh, for us, uh, you know, it's a source of pride. It's not one you know as being good Canadians, it's not something we wave our flag on too much. We're we're very uh, humble in that, but we're, you know, we're we're deeply committed to this. I think where others uh, have may have made investments for to jump on a trend or take advantage of a growth platform, you know, we're all in. Um, we're between our marketing investments, our our plant investments, our people investments. Um, I think it's it's unlike anything that we've seen so far. Um, in this in this space, and so mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, we're awfully proud of it. And including, you know, one other thing is not only just investing dollars is um, our commitment around sustainability uh, as it relates to uh, carbon neutrality. You know, we've we're one of the few global food companies uh, that has signed up for science-based targets as an outcome of the Paris Agreement. We uh, we've uh, dramatically reduced our carbon footprint. Um, both within our meat protein business as well as our plant protein business. We're carbon neutral now, and anything we have not been able to uh, reduce has been offset uh, through high-quality carbon credits in the, here in the United States. So we, we're, we're, you know, we're deeply committed not only to plant protein, but also becoming that most sustainable protein company on Earth. And what we mean by that is not always necessarily about carbon, but it's about Having uh, you know, making making having a planet that you know my my eleven and four, my twelve and fourteen year old boys can can be really proud that their father who had a had a had an impact in the food business you know left a left a, left a legacy of a, of a great uh, great environment and a great uh, great company behind. Sure, that's a, a good aspiration to have. So, Adam, you mentioned you know be, being friendly Canadians and uh, that you guys want to have a, a humble. Um, attitude. And I think it's extremely admirable, obviously, uh, that you guys are investing so heavily 
into the uh, plant-based and alternative protein space. And uh, I'd love to talk in a little bit about some of the ways that you've advanced the distribution of these products. But before that, and I just want to ask you about the ad. And so um, anybody who listened to the last episode of the podcast with Irina Jerry, formerly of Danone and now of Change Foods, she was critical of an advertisement that you all as Light Life Foods took out that was an ad that was critical of Beyond Meat and of uh, Impossible Foods. And you all were alleging that they were using uh, too many ingredients or they had ingredients that you thought weren't part of a queen label. Um, And I think a lot of people were surprised by this, not only because of the way that Irina described it as she thought it wasn't collegial in the space, but also, you know, for these Canadians, they're so friendly. And then to come on out uh, aggressive like that, attacking these American companies. And so um, I want to give you a chance to respond to Irina or just to the criticism in general about that ad and, and see, you know, what your thought is on it. Like, why'd you do it? And do you think it was a success for the company? Well, you know, it's, it's, a gr- it's really interesting the way that you asked, why did, you know, the why did you do it? And, and the conversation that you had with Irina is exactly why we did it. Our goal was to spark a conversation in the industry and amongst consumers. You know, we had just come off the back of uh, two important things. One was we just we did the largest and most extensive and exhaustive piece of consumer research in North American history in plant-based protein. We invested we we interviewed over 11,000 consumers and they told us they want plant-based proteins that are made with simple recognizable ingredients. And that was something that was uh, really important to them. And in fact, if anything, we could see from lapsed users or for, for uh, uncommitted users that this was a big reason why they hadn't uh, tried the category yet, in fact. So for us, it was really about making a statement to say, look, we can be better. We can do better. You know, if our focus is on making great tasting products, why can't they be include simple ingredients, more nutritious ingredients, um, easy for the body to digest, in fact? And at the same time, we uh, have relaunched the entirety of the Light Life brand. Uh, we're going through that process now. Our, our first foray was our burger. We're, you know, we're down to 11 ingredients. Um, we have n- no synthetic ingredients. We have no GMOs, uh, no soy. Um, and, and for the rest of our lineup, we are, you know, by the end of the first quarter here, we're going to have completely renovated all of our food, uh, simplified our ingredient panels, uh, our lineup will be 100% vegan. We are eliminating any milk products. We are eliminating carrageenan from a number of our SKUs. And so we, you know, we believe fundamentally, based on what consumers told us, is that it was important now that we spark that conversation and address this issue as an industry. And we're better together than we are at the part. And it's important. Our our, our message to to Beyond and Impossible was that we think we all could do. Um, a lot more for plant-based protein if we if we use that as the beacon for for growth. When I saw the ad, I had, as I often do, uh, the Light Life Gimme Lean product in my refrigerator, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I actually ate last night. <laughs> Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, so um, I, I'm a, I, I don't until we were going to have this conversation. I don't think I recognized how frequent of a consumer of your products I was because <laughs> I uh, last night I had the uh, Light Life Gimme Lean, and uh, today in my lunch I have the Light Life Tempeh. So uh, I, I'm a regular consumer. But when I saw the ad. You know, I, I went and looked at my Light Life Gimme Lean, which is a product that I've been enjoying for literally decades. In fact, I remember um, 20 years ago, my mom regularly used it, and I, to this day, still regularly use it and love it. But I guess that falls into the category of the type of products that you're talking about, because I looked at it, and you know, it looked like a, a Beyond or an Impossible label. It was like nearly 20 ingredients. Mm-hmm. It had ingredients I wasn't sure. Um, and now, it doesn't bother me. Like I'm, I'm not part of that crowd of people who. Uh, for the, for whom this is an issue when they're buying products, but I realize there are some. So how soon, you, I, I, or did I just hear you say that by the end of this calendar year, you expect to modify the, the formula for all of the products that Light Life makes? Yeah, we'll, we'll be done the vast majority of the work by the end of this, by the end of this first quarter. So that's in okay. March of this year. Uh, Gimme Lean, uh, you know, Jatinder can, can address specifically, uh, but we too have adjusted that formula as well. And not only okay. have we improved the taste, but we've uh, we're on a path where it's about perfect, you know, it's about progress, not perfection. Sure. Uh, we've, re- we've reduced, we've dramatically reduced the number of ingredients. We've evaluated every single ingredient that's on that package. Um, and as you know, you know, we're under, you know, the plant-based protein industry is under some criticism from the, those, some of those in the animal protein world about this idea of, of, of which one, which, which one's got a cleaner label and so on and so forth. So it's incumbent upon us to try to, 
uh, address some of these issues so that more consumers will enjoy more plant-based products because the, mm. what, what they're telling us is that um, it's not it's not just enough that they mimic meat but that they are good for me and and that's an that's a that's a question that we've been trying to mm-hmm. address sure so Jatender, are you moving away from soy um, like is my gimme lean going to be made out of pea protein now as opposed to soy protein uh, no uh, Paul like you know like uh, between light life and field roast, um, it's again, you know, being in the sustainable protein uh, vision, it's a uh, multiple protein sources. What it means is we have a lineup we call um, a, a fresh line that has got more uh, pea-centric, pea pea-protein-centric, right? So, you know, our light life burgers, sausages, and the grounds, they're all pea-protein-centric. So, when you're when you're having pea protein, we want to ensure it is gluten free and soy free, so that you know it has a, it offers a pea protein choice for the consumers. You know, on the soy based, um, you know, the current soy based line that we have, that your 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 uh, favorite gimilin and tempeh, all of these, they they will continue uh, stay soy. You know, what Adam was mentioning is again, you know, it's it's about you know diverse amount of proteins. You know, mm-hmm. what Adam was mentioning is, you know, in terms of cleaning up ingredients. And it is it is definitely not an easy task uh, for the team, right? So, like you said, you have decades old uh, recipes and product designs that need to be completely revamped. Whether it's flavors, processes, and ingredients. So we were actively working with our partners, flavor house partners that are global flavor houses, to make sure we we get these uh, you know the products and designs cleaner with cleaner ingredients, yet gives you the same performance. And actual an elevated taste experience. So you know it, it's an incredible task. We've been working from last few months. We're going to see the fruits of the labor, um, you know, in the first quarter. So the soy is going to stay uh, for the soy based lineup, okay. and you know, obviously our field roast, which we are also renovating, and uh, some of them in the market, it's all gluten centric uh, products. Okay. And cool. we, we are launching new products as well. Paul. Like uh, those mm-hmm. products will again. Utilize a combination of uh, some of the other other proteins, you know, like fava, potato proteins, and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I know that soy. I mean, you know, some some people don't like it, but because it's uh, a bean that is so high in protein, you need far fewer acres to produce uh, soy protein than you do, let's say, pea protein, because a, a soybean is closer to forty percent protein, whereas a pea is closer to twenty-five or so percent protein, and so when you're uh, growing, you know, when you're making plant-based meat and you want to isolate these down to the, their protein components, it, it does seem to me like soy is actually, you know, you can do it with fewer acres. Now, other people may have other concerns about soy that are unrelated, but just from a land use perspective, my presumption, and I don't know this for a fact, and if there's any listeners out there who want to correct me, I'd love to hear about it, but my my feeling is that it probably takes a lot less land to make a soy-based uh, burger than a pea-based burger, but um, it's not to say that I'm down on peas. In fact, I am down with peas. Um, I, my own company, The Better Meat Co., uh, loves using pea protein. So uh, I, I like them. I just wonder whether soy gets an unfair rap in some cases. But speaking of an unfair rap, I want to ask you, Jatender, also then about uh, one a kind of technical question here. So it seems like the, you know, Adam was mentioning how some in the animal protein industry have been critical of the ingredient deck on plant-based meat. And it seems like methyl cellulose is like their popular um, whipping horse here. If that's, is that the correct term? Certainly not an animal friendly term, but uh, you know, the thing they love to criticize is, is methyl cellulose, um, which, you know, I have no concerns about it myself, but obviously some people do because it sounds kind of sciencey and it is a lot of people don't want science in their foods. And so I noticed you guys are using, um, I think it's called modified cellulose, but frankly, I'm not familiar enough with food science to know what's the difference. What's the difference between modified cellulose and methyl cellulose? And maybe for people who aren't familiar with food product development, what's it used for in the first place? Uh, you know, methyl cellulose, um, you know, in plant-based space, um, any plant-based scientist uh, can, um, you know, attest to this. It, it is the magic ingredient in a prepared plant-based product. Um, there are a lot of work happening right now replacing methyl cellulose with the other ingredients. Um, so it is a functional ingredient that, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a normal terms, it, it acts as a glue. It acts as a skeleton for the entire matrix of the of the product. Whether it is a hot dog, whether it is a you know plant-based hot dog or a plant-based chicken, plant-based burger, you know it is it is a it is a, you know 
Uh, you can even call it like a magic ingredient as a functional ingredient, you know, for the plant-based, right? So um, because uh, the plant-based product, it's most of the pro- plant-based uh, protein is already a texturized. That means no functionality, unlike meat, where you can extract protein and uh, there is, you know, and helps in binding. You know, plant-based has to rely on ingredients like methyl cellulose and some other starches and gums. And methyl cellulose is a key ingredient, right? So um, there is a ton of work happening, and I'm sure uh, a lot of other companies are working or flavor ingredient companies are working towards replacing it. Uh, It would be an amazing day for everyone if we can able to find an alternative in a cost-effective way for methyl cellulose. Um, As far as the difference between methyl cellulose or modified cellulose, um, there is not that much of a difference. It is just a, a different nomenclature how you call a methylation of the cellulose. It is modified format of a cellulose. Hmm. So, okay. um, yeah, that is the only uh, difference. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I've noticed, I mean, I, I'm a pretty keen observer of what happens on plant-based product packaging. And I've noticed that nearly every uh, brand seems to use methyl cellulose or some form of it. Um, yeah. And I mean, at least I'm not aware of any health concerns around it. I think it's just a name that doesn't sound like a queen label name, but I'm not aware of any. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is a, it is a modified form of a cellulose, right? So which is uh, comes from the wood pulp or any cellulose or cell wall based uh, uh, ingredient. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, chemical names uh, are pretty uh, crazy sometimes. You know, if you think about salt, it is sodium chloride. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, when you put sodium chloride there for a normal person, you know, what is this? You know, what is yeah, this? Right. Yeah, so that, that's why, you know, it's, it's such a bad rap, you know, in methyl cellulose. Um, but there is a lot of work happening, you know, again, trying to find a natural uh, binding way. Um, mm-hmm. There's a ton of work happening in the industry. Yeah. yeah, it kind of reminds me of the old uh, petition, the parody petition to ban uh, dihydrogen oxide. Uh, so yeah. you know, saying that this can kill people and it can burn people. And of course, dihydrogen oxide is just H2O. Um, but <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Well, thank you for helping indulge my methyl cellulose interest here, Jatendra. Yeah. Um, Adam, let me ask you then, you know, when you guys... Uh, acquired these plant-based companies. A lot of people uh, who are big fans of Field Roast and of Light Life, you know, these are companies that were either, well, Field Roast was an all-vegan brand, and of course it still is, and Light Life was an all-vegetarian brand, and it sounds like you're making it into an all-vegan brand right now. First, is that true? Are you guys making Light Life into an entirely vegan brand here? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, well, think, think, I mean, first thing about the irony of that—that you—that a meat company acquired a plant-based or a, a vegetarian company and made it into a vegan company—that is a pretty uh, interesting irony, right there. Um, so, first, my hats off to you for that. Of course, that's awesome, um, and, and there'll be plenty of, uh, of vegans, myself included, who will be quite uh, thrilled to uh, to enjoy more of those products. Um, but let's talk about the business of this, Adam. I want to ask you what happened with these brands. You know, a lot of people. Uh, when Field Roast, for example, was acquired, people were wondering what's going to happen to this brand, not in terms of whether you know it would start having meat in it. I don't think anybody expected that, and I know you've guaranteed uh, that that won't happen. But in terms of its distribution, because uh, you know, for me, I look at like how these companies can do good in the world by being further distributed and offering plant-based meat in a cheaper and more convenient manner for people to get. So has that happened um, so far? Like is Field Roast in more locations now? Are there more SKUs that have been released? Is the price cheaper? Like what's actually happened since Maple Leaf acquired Field Roast? Well, you know, Field Roast is one of those brands that we have, you know, incredible affinity for. And one of the philosophies we have, Paul, is this idea that consumers own these brands and we're just stewards of them. You know, we don't, we don't own the brand, the consumer does. And if you come at it through that lens, uh, we hold uh, the Field Roast brand and Light Life brand for that matter in, in, in such high regard. We, we, feel, we feel a sense of responsibility. And Field Roast uh, ha- is just an incredible uh, brand. We've uh, recently um, uh, just upgraded all of the, uh, the packaging. We actually have a new advertising campaign coming out here uh, in the next 60 days, which I think um, your audience will love, uh, just really uh, modernizing it and um, and providing some fuel for future uh, innovation. Um, we have tripled the business uh, effectively since we had purchased it, and we are uh, moving it into many new stores. In fact, uh, Field Roast has a brand uh, called Chow, which is a 
plant-based cheese, which recently just got distribution through uh, Walmart uh, for the very first time. So we we are definitely focused on increasing distribution. Uh, we're focused on modernizing the brand, uh, making sure that we stay true to David Lee's, uh, who is the the owner that founded it. Uh, he was a chef by trade, and and what he brought to it around the artisan quality of its bold, rich flavors. Uh, we intend to really uh, follow in his footsteps and honor uh, what he's created with with just some incredible uh, new products that 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 live up to that brand. So. So it's an honor to it's an honor to work with it, um, and and hopefully your audience will be able to see it much more in distribution, more predominantly in the east side of the country. Never uh, okay. came from Seattle. Wow. So tell me, when you say tripled the size of the business, Adam, do you mean in in terms of revenue? Do you mean in terms of pounds of production? What is the basis for that tripling? Uh, in revenue, so we we have significantly increased uh, the sales rate on field roast. Um, we. We've done the same on Light Life for that matter, but we are, we are in the case of both brands, um, ensuring that we take these wonderful legacy brands and and bring them uh, up to you know up to standard in terms of what consumers are looking for now. So you know one of the things we didn't talk about, Paul, is that you know th- th- this idea that you know ninety three percent of all new consumers coming into the space are flexitarians. They're they're people who are trying this food for the very first time, and so we need to ensure that. You know, when they do try a light life product or a field roast product, that it that it just delights them, and they'll buy more plant based products, and that's essentially what we're trying to do. Yeah. So let me ask you then about that, Adam, because you know it, it, people in this space know that vegetarians and vegans are not driving sales of these products. It's nearly entirely meat reducers. People who want to eat meat but are happy to to eat more plant new. Uh, plant-based nutrition as well. So, do you think that that purchaser of Field Roast or Light Life is the type of purchaser who maybe would have been buying some maple leaf meat product and are switching to this, or is it something else that's happening? Well, we see right now, and it's kind of related to the question that you you asked earlier, because we've recently uh, launched Light Life in Canada. It didn't exist in Canada. Uh, Field Roast did. It had a small presence. And where we do sell Maple Leaf uh, products, we're actually seeing our business actually increase. Um, I, we're, what we see in the market right now is this, this you know, I look on the store shelves, you know, Jatinder and I walk stores like crazy. I think, we, you know, we, we spend way more time in the stores than we want to. But think about all the places where you're seeing protein pop up, whether it be cereal bars to breakfast cereal to I'm seeing it in beverages. And and for us, we, we just see the insatiable appetite for protein. So we're seeing it incremental. So those that are trying uh, plant-based proteins are are adding it to their list of of, of protein options. Um, obviously, we love 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 our vegan and vegetarian core consumers. Uh, we hope to honor them with even more products. Uh, we have not forgotten how important they are to to our business and to these brands. They are the lifeblood of these brands. But what we think is really important is if we can get more people to satisfy their protein desires with more plant options, I think we're all better off. And that's really that's really our goal. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, look, as you alluded to earlier, Adam, meat consumption is going up, not down. It's going up in North America. It's going up in China and in India and in Brazil and Mexico and all the places where it's going to matter the most in the coming decades. Consumption of meat is going up both because of population growth, but also just because more people are entering the middle class. And when people get more money, one of the very first things they do is start buying more meat. So humanity has to figure out a way to satiate uh, our demand for meat in a way that is way more efficient, way more sustainable, and way more humane than what we've been doing in the past. And clearly, plant protein is going to be part of that. Uh, I also want to ask you both then about another strategy. So not just the idea of offering these competitor products that are entirely plant-based, but also, for example, of what Maple Leaf uh, has been doing with the blended products, because I know that you all have introduced uh, lines of Maple Leaf products that also incorporate plant protein. So you see plant-based protein not only entering the meat aisle of the supermarket, but entering the meat itself. And I want to ask you about your experience with that. Jatendra, as a product developer, was it difficult for you to marry 
animal proteins and plant proteins? And how was that experience for you to not just make a plant-based meat, but in this case, make an animal-based meat that also contains plant protein that would still be attractive to the type of person who wants to just go out and get a regular burger? Yeah, um, it's it's uh, it. I won't say it is uh, it is a difficult all, but it is definitely a, a the design is a much more complex because meat protein it is not either meat hundred percent meat protein or hundred percent plant protein. Right? You're using half and half with two different properties. Meat has a different property the way it performs the meat protein versus plant protein. So um, you know it has got you know a bit of learning curve. The design has a, a bit more complex. To blend both, uh, however, you know a lot of work um, in terms of flavor, in terms of color, can be done by having the meat protein. You know, in 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 this mix, you know, the the, the meat offers an amazing aroma that you are trying to do in in plant protein, 100% plant protein by itself. By combining these two, you get the benefit of meat fat, uh, the fatty mouthfeel, uh, some of the textural benefits of meat, uh, some of the flavor benefit and color benefit. Of the meat, but and also by adding the uh, plant protein here, um, you would able to reduce some of the nutritional penalties, right? You know, so um, you know you can reduce the saturated fat, you can reduce the cholesterol, yet you can keep the same protein. So the taste is paramount here, and you know um, if we can achieve the taste, you know we do. We did launch the products. You know, um, the taste is definitely you know we, it is, we are continue evolving the design uh, to deliver the best taste uh, possible. Uh, but it's it's a it's a very interesting and unique concept, and uh, not only that, you know, and it, it it gives you no compromise for the for some of the you know heavy meat eaters, um, mm-hmm. you know, that wanted to have the uh, the meat yet uh, conscious for their health as well as for the environment. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's an, it's such a fascinating concept, and a, a, as you both know, one that I've devoted a good amount of my life now to, and I, as I really believe that it can help. Uh, achieve those goals of improving sustainability. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what do you think about the two competing ideas in this space? So one is that you advertise this as a blended item, that you try to sell it on those points that you were just mentioning, Chitendra. So less saturated fat, less cholesterol, fewer calories, but same protein versus going in a stealth health manner. And so as an example, many of the uh, canned soup manufacturers in recent years have been reducing their sodium, but they don't tout it as a reduced sodium product because they don't want people to think it has less flavor. So they just every year have gradually reduced the amount of salt in there. Or to use a different type of analogy, if you think about, you know, in the United States, if, when you put gas in your car, a certain portion of that isn't gas from fossil fuels, it's ethanol. And people don't think about it, but we're using fewer fossil fuels because of that. And so it, that's more of a stealth health, or in that case, I guess, a stealth energy uh, type of play. But have you thought about the idea? I know that you all have advertised the product as, as a blended product, but have you thought about or tested the idea of going stealth health and adding some plant protein to reduce the amount of animal protein or animal uh, fat, at least in the... Um, in some of those conventional products and not touting it as a blended product? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, the product currently, in, you know, currently launched, and I know that for sure the design, the, the you know, it's a brand new product, unique, unique perspective for consumers to uh, gain more awareness around it. I know the Maple Leaf marketing team is all over it and how to, uh, you know, continue advance the, the positioning of the product. Um, you know, I I do not have an update on that, but I am sure that the team is evol- evaluating, you know, how to put, reposition it, you know, and in, in a more stealth mode, or what are the benefits and all that. So I, mm-hmm. you know, definitely great, great suggestion, great thought. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, to yeah. your point, the sodiums, fats. You know, if you put like ninety eight percent fat free, that's kind of give you a connotation of like, oh, it's not going to taste good, right? Versus <laughs> like you, you put you put a you put a you know a great product. And a consumer casually looks at the nutrition fa- panel. Oh, it's 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 amazing and it tastes great. So it, it's a it's just the perception. Uh, it's a great solution. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, any you know, I'm sure the marketing team is uh, evaluating. Maple Leaf marketing team is evaluating all the possibilities. All right, Adam, do you have any thoughts on that question about blended meats? Whether it would be better to advertise them as blended or just to say nothing and and make sure that people have a better product without them even knowing that it's better necessarily? You know, I I uh, I can't help but you know reflect on the 
podcast uh, episode that you had with Seth from Tofurky, which I enjoyed immensely. And he talked about this idea of taste being king. And that's really stuck with me, actually. And I think whatever we do, whether it be in the meat side of the business, the animal protein or the plant-based protein industry, we can't forget the fact that when you are selecting a product in a grocery store, such as a burger, whether it's blended animal protein or plant protein, it has to taste amazing. And I think where you're going is, is, is exactly the right place, which is it, the fact that it tastes amazing and it happens to have less saturated fat is the path home as opposed to, I think some of us that are so close to it as an, in the industry, we tend to want to over communicate about how we've made it, um, what it's, what it's made with. And in the end of the day, we're all, we all got busy lives. We all have so much money in our pocket and we just want a great taste experience. So, um, you know, your, your, your perspective on this is an interesting one. And I, and I can't help but think about what Seth said on your, on your episode there. So it's top of mind. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating because so many people, they think that, uh, you know, what is going to drive the demand for such products are going to be, you know, the, either the sustainability or the ethical or the health benefits of the products. But like you just said, I mean, in reality, most people are still buying food because it tastes good, because it's affordable and because it's conveniently located for them, you know, either at a store that they like or in the aisle that they like, et cetera. And I hear a lot of predictions about how a more high-minded motivations are going to increase in terms of their, like what's actually motivating most food purchases. But in my own experience, you know, people tell pollsters one thing to make themselves sound better. And in reality, they continue doing the things that we've always done, which is buying things that taste good and are affordable. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, I mean, well, there's so many examples to prove this, but, you know, I, I really do believe that, um, if it doesn't taste good and it's not cost effective, you, you may as well. All the other nice to haves relating to sustainability and so on are not going to be that compelling uh, in terms of driving sales. I think, Paul, the way to think about this is just, you know, for brands and, and those that are in the space that might be listening is just this idea of meeting consumers where they are. I mean, there is a certain amount of consumers out there who do uh, make pur purposeful choices. Uh, and there's others who uh, would like to, and they'd like a shorthand to that, but in the end, they may have different um, motivations. And so it's really important for us as, as food providers and stewards of brands to make sure that we're a little bit more agile in our communications and ensure that we, that we, we, we meet consumers where they might be. And, yeah. um, and if we can move them down that continuum and that path towards better, healthier, um, you know, more sustainable, you know, it, our responsibility is as food manufacturers and um, as providers of food, um, you know, it's, 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 we're in really important roles and positions so that we can, we can move right. down that path, whether or not they're completely aware of it or what their level of awareness is, um, we're helping them along. And that's, that's what we view our mission to be. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, that it's imperative among large food companies to become more sustainable. And the way to win through that is to make sure that the products that are the most sustainable are also the best tasting and the cheapest and so on. And of course, that's a very hard thing to do. It's easy to say it on a podcast that it, that's the key. That's the goal. But I, I do believe that if those aren't also met, you you know, it's, it's just going to be continue to be a niche product. I mean, you look at plant based meat today, and it's still uh, by volume is far less than 1% of all the meat that's produced in North America, and even less than that around the world. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the reality is that that's often because it either hasn't competed on taste or even when it has, it's still selling at multiples over the price of commodity meat. Um, you know, most plant-based meat today is sold for, you know, not 30 or 40% more expensive than meat, but usually like 300 or 400% more than, than on a per pound basis than, than animal meat is sold for. And when you're dealing with that, it's really hard to escape the niche category and become mainstream. And I think one of the key lessons to learn from the ascendance of plant-based milk has been to actually compete on cost and not just on sustainability. And that's why plant-based milk has been such a much bigger success story than plant-based meat is both uh, for taste and cost reasons, I think. Yeah, we, we you know, we, we've... Um... The way we've thought about this is, 
look, you know, we, we've been under some criticism in the past about, you know, look at there's this animal protein company that owns this plant-based protein company. And there's been some questions about motivations or, or, um, or us as, as an animal protein company, uh, as an, as an ownership. And I think it is important to, to point out as well is that we, we are an independently operated company here in, in the United States under the Greenleaf Foods um, company that owns Field Roast and Nightlife. However, we are owned by Maple Leaf. And one of the things that we, we, try to, you know, we try to do is to try to leverage, like what you heard from Jatinder a little bit, is leverage what we know from, from, from animal food production and try to translate that into plant production so that we can drive those costs down. Because you know, that's something that's super important to us in the sense of like, how do we scale these businesses faster? You know, and we, we, the world can't survive on animal protein alone if you look at these growth rates. Um, at the same time, you have, you know, one in nine people are undernourished, while two billion people in the world are overweight. So, so the food system and those who within it, um, it are own own this situation. And so, our view on this is, we think we we can make a really big difference by uh, by by not only investing but promoting and. Um, innovating in this space to provide some alternatives to um, to to the outcomes that uh, if we're not here that that wouldn't be ones that we would be tenable. So uh, that's that's gives you a little bit of perspective as how we think about it. Yeah, well, to give you a slight uh, a small window into my own thinking on it, I don't think that it's going to be possible to have the type of transformation of our global food system that we need without having the major meat companies involved and actually embracing and benefiting from the move toward alternative protein. And in, in the story is told many times, but you know, if you look at for example what happened in film, how you know, you had Kodak and Canon vying for supremacy for decades in the print film market. And they both knew about digital in the 70s and the 80s, but only Canon embraced it. And we all know what happened. You know, Kodak went bankrupt and Canon is now the largest manufacturer of digital cameras on the planet. And so I really believe that forward-thinking meat companies that embrace these, what are today called alternative proteins, but tomorrow will just be, I think, part of the protein portfolio of the world, are going to become the Canons and those that have their head in the sand and try to resist or don't embrace the innovation that we're seeing today are going to be more like the Kodaks. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you guys are doing such a, a good amount to help to em embrace plant-based protein and alternative protein in general and are going to not just triple the size of these companies like Field Roast, but hopefully, uh, you know, uh, 30x them in the years to come. So on that note, let me ask you, uh, obviously, I'm sure you guys think about a lot of uh, things in the, in the alternative protein space or, or in the business space in general. Are there any ideas out there that you guys wish that somebody else would do, like start a company to do X or solve some problem that you think would help to advance this space? And Jatendra, let's start with you here. What do you think? What are you hoping some listener may go and end up and invent here? There are two areas, Paul, for me, you know, living on the, living in the design element and R&D aspect of it. You know, um, there are two areas that definitely has such a potential for anyone to start and be part of. The number one thing is the plant-based uh, functional ingredients. At a, you know, like developing these functional ingredients, whether it's for great taste or texture, flavor, aroma, color, uh, with clean ingredients and, and, and that delivers like the, you know, the, the taste and mimics, you know, some of the meat mimicking, all that at a cost. Like if you, if, if, um, if the, the work is still such a nascent stage and, you know, lot, you see so many entrepreneurs thinking on the finished product, but, you know, I know that, you know, from your uh, experience or your company, Better Meat Company, you guys offer those ingredients, right? So to just put it in a, in a B2B scenario where you put it in your product and it's ready to go. Similar to that, you know, the plant-based ingredients, um, the functional ingredients, it's such an area uh, for anyone to pursue, right? You know, to deliver um, the best uh, possible, uh, the, the, these ingredient, ingredient technologies, that helps the finished product. At the end of the day, we all talked about from last one hour, the number one thing that drives the, this plant-based movement is taste. And, you know, you, you, you see, you know, like it, it's incredibly important. 
And that's where uh, we are struggling, you know, and in the sense of, you know, to utilize this multitude of different sources of proteins, whether soy, pea, gluten, power, all of these, you need to have these functional ingredient systems, flavor, flavor, texture, color, performance, process performance, and all that needs to be there at a, at a lower cost. And right now, the cost is of you know, absolute, uh, you know, high. And also, the availability of technology advancements is, you know, I wish like we, we progress faster. So that's number one. Number two is about the manufacturing space. You know, there is such a le- such a need for manufacturing um, of plant-based uh, products. Um, you know, we are we are fortunate and, and blessed to have uh, maple leaf uh, uh, network systems, manufacturing systems. But most of the uh, entrepreneurs focuses on startups and you know technologies. But manufacturing is such a scarcity right now. You know, like. You have to, you know, at the end of the day, you have to produce the product. You know, you said like less than 1%, you know, right now in the plant-based protein. Can you imagine like to go to 10%, how much manufacturing uh, power you need? You know, so it is incredible that nobody is even tapping into that space in terms of either co-manufacturing and or having that manufacturing abilities. All these companies are all startups or everything is a tech, tech-based, but there is nobody thinking that way in the, in the manufacturing capabilities of the plant-based protein. So those are the two, I think, that are that really, really, um, I would say, uh, have high potential for someone to start. Very cool. Great ideas. And I think that it's, uh, it's intriguing to me the difference between the machinery that may be needed for plant-based meat manufacturing versus animal-based meat manufacturing. And uh, listeners of the show will remember Christy Middleton from Rebellious Foods uh, talked about their inventions to try to create machinery that can more cost-effectively make plant-based meat and, and bring that, that cost of production down. So hopefully you guys can connect with, uh, with the folks at Rebellious Foods and, and talk about that. But what about you, Adam? Are there any ideas that you hope a listener might pursue in order to try to make the world a better place here? Well, I, I have one that is uh, near and dear to my heart that hopefully is the same with your, with your audience. Is, um, the number one issue that we have um, in terms of our packaging side of things is our barrier film. And that is the film that is used uh, to protect the food products from oxygen. And unfortunately today, we have not been able uh, as a food industry globally to find alternatives yet. And I, and I say yet because I'm optimistic to uh, have recyclable components uh, that still retain oxygen or sorry, keep oxygen out of products and while still maintaining self life. And what's interesting to me is we talk a lot in the food industry about sustainability. At the same time, we talk about food waste. And so it's imperative for us and, and costs. And it's, and it's imperative for us to have products that have shelf life, uh, freshness, taste great. They can travel so you can make them at scale. But at the same time, um, move us just to get over that hump. I mean, I can get the latest packaging we have that's come out for us on Light Life and Field Roast is 90% recyclable. And the difference between getting to 100 is those barrier films that that uh, that we use to seal our product. And so if anyone can crack the code there, I think uh, there is a multitude of opportunities for, for that individual or that company to um, be quite successful. I'll be the first one in line to, to want to hear the pitch. Huh, very cool. Well, uh, that's awesome. Well, um, we interviewed uh, Notpla. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company, but it's uh, N-A, excuse me, N-O-T-P-L-A, uh, which is a startup making some really interesting um, uh, edible plastics that you can use that are, I, don't think, I guess they're not technically plastics, but plastic alternatives that are edible that you can use. I think they're partnered with Unilever on some like uh, product packaging of theirs as well to put like condiments in there. So you don't, those little packets of ketchup or mustard or whatever, uh, you can just eat them. Uh, so, so that's, uh, that's okay. more, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, we've actually, you know, we've actually interviewed a number of these, some of these, um, uh, plastic alternative uh, companies on the show before, including uh, Lori Goff from Outlander Materials. And she is using uh, a type of biotech fermentation to create alternative plastics using beer brewery waste. 
which was really cool. So she was basically subjecting beer brewery waste, like the spent grain, to a type of fermentation that was creating like a plastic wrapper that wasn't made of plastic at all. It was, it was all, all, all natural made. So uh, anyway, uh, I'll email you afterwards. In fact, I'll include in the show notes links to those episodes should you want to go back and, and check them out. But that, uh, it's a, a good idea. And, and I hope that uh, somebody will, will take you up on that and just know that you'll have a, a huge customer in Maple Leaf when you start that company to start giving them some type of uh, recyclable film that they can put on there. Um, Okay, finally, guys, I want to ask you then, um, Jatendra, we'll, we'll go with you first and we'll let Adam close us out. Are there any resources that have been helpful for you, um, whether it's food science or business or anything else that's been useful that you would recommend to listeners that you hope that they might get some use from too? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I have, uh, I would say, a couple of books I've been uh, reading uh, actually recently. Uh, one, one is uh, The Mind-Gut Connection, Paul. I don't know if you... If you heard the book, it's called Mind Gut Connection, uh, about how the hidden conversation within our bodies impacts our mood, our choices, and our overall health. Uh, it's a book by Emeron um, uh, Meyer. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting, you know how you how you see the uh, the human microbiome and how that you know again coming into the fermented foods of whether it's prebiotic, probiotic, how it uh, you know the the microbiome, the gut health is such an important factor uh, to understand um, the, the, the overall health or mind and body connection. So that's one, one, of, the, one of the books I am, um, you know, still reading oh, and still reading okay. through. And, oh. and yeah, and there was another one um, about the food waste, which I intend to read um, once, I'm, uh, once I find some time in 2021. Uh, in the middle of pandemic and having kids in the school, you know, e-learning e- e- at home. So it's called Food Foolish. I don't know if you heard about this. Food Foolish, the hidden connection between food waste, hunger, and climate change. Uh, there are two authors, uh, which is uh, John uh, Mandik and uh, Eric Schultz. So those are the two books um, I intend to finish in 2021. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Very good. Well, I'll put those on my list too. They certainly sound interesting. Uh, how about you, Adam? Anything that you would recommend for folks that has been useful for you? You know, I uh, I know there's probably lots of different business books and um, and books on, on on social consciousness and business, but I, I had a couple that are just really relevant to me right now. So we've uh, at the office we've been um, uh, promoting uh, Veganary uh, is obviously really big right now. So my mm-hmm. books are more uh, cookbooks, to be honest. I've really been experimenting. I've always been uh, predominantly plant-based, but um, I've really tried to embrace uh, Veganary. And um, one, of the, mm-hmm. one of the books that I've used is uh, uh, Wicked Healthy, which is by Chad Sar- Sarno, uh, who's yeah. done some work with us in the past at Field Roast. And um, it's a it's a it's an incredible book, and I've used it a couple of the recipes in there. So if any of the audience is looking for really uh, bold um, flavor and really out of the box kind of recipes that aren't another stew or um, you know something boring, I think it, they've 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 really done a nice job. Nice. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I know you're going to yeah. recommend one more, but I'm, I just want to say I'm a huge yeah. fan of both Chad and his brother, Derek Sarno. And I think that these yeah. are two guys who have done more to advance the uh, demand for plant-based food and interest in plant-based food than almost anybody else on the planet. So uh, yeah. I, I, I will very eagerly link to, to uh, that book in the show notes for this episode. And Adam, what's the other one? The other one that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, or to, is uh, the Noma Guide to Fermentation. As uh, Jatinder has been all over me, to get educated, we talked. We started the show off on tempeh, and you know this notion of fermentation, food, fermented foods. I think a lot of people um, talk about them, but really deeply understanding the science behind it and the cultures, root cultures that are used. Um, they even have in the book, which is really super cool, is a a way to do your own styrofoam incubator. So if anyone out there wants to geek out about fermented foods, I, I would really recommend it. It's a uh, it's it's some it's not it's not an easy read let me tell you it's thick but uh it's something that i've really really dove deep into because i really believe in the health benefits and the the functional benefits of fermentation so um nice. are two kind of different ones that i'd offer offer but uh ones that are on my list for sure and using them uh, quite frequently well very cool well i'll tell you um first i am a big advocate of fermented foods as well 
And I am going to be trying a new one that I have never even heard of, but I bought it off of Amazon recently. It's like a Chinese fermented bean curd that is often referred to as furu. It's F-U-R-U. Have you heard of this? No, no. We, we, no, we, do, no. we do a lot with chow, which is fermented tofu, but I'd want to hear yeah. more. Yeah, so check out Furu Fermented Bean Curd, and you can get it on on Amazon or in Asian markets. It's basically like a, a used as like a almost like a sauce or like a cheese that you would put on top of other foods. So I, I haven't tried it yet, but I do have it. I have the jar of it in my home, and I, uh, my wife and I were going to use it this weekend to try it as a fun thing to do. That's like well, that's like our big big excitement during the pandemic of what to do is to try some new fermented food. But I will also say, in the uh, in the interest of domestic harmony for myself that you should also, Adam, check out my wife's latest vegan cookbook, which is called The Friendly Vegan by Tony Okamoto and her co-author, Michelle Kane. So if awesome. you're into vegan cookbooks, yeah. you got to check out uh, The Friendly Vegan, which is her, her third and latest of her cookbook series. So yeah. you can check that out yeah. too. Um, awesome. Well, it's great to talk with you both, Jatendra and Adam. I appreciate you guys chatting with me for the past hour, and I appreciate everything you're doing to advance the alternative protein space. So thank you for that. And I'll look forward to continuing to see you expand the space and get more field roast and more other plant-based meats into more and more intestinal tracts. All right, guys? Thank you, Paul. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good. 